0: The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. For the opportunity to be under your word, Holy Spirit, it is you who is the teacher, uh, Father. I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, uh, Father. I pray that uh, that that you would be remembered and I'd be forgotten, Lord. I can't do this, but you can do all things, and so, Father, I am so grateful for the way that you work and the way that you move. Would you plant your seed in our hearts, Lord? Would you make it fertile? Would you uh, just bring 30, 60, 100 fold? Would you just manifest your life in us? Would you continue to give yourself to us? Holy Spirit, would you, would you lead us into all truth and remind us of everything that you said? Lord Jesus, would you help us to do these things? Would you fill me with your spirit in order to just simply be your messenger? And like John the Baptist Help me to point to Jesus. And we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, who are you? You ever get this question asked of you? Uh, you know, like, who are you? And when that question is presented, what is your what is your uh, criteria for that answer? What is your reference point? Who are you? For most of us. The, very, the, very, the first thing we, we, we go to is uh, our duties, responsibilities, what we do, like as if that is what defines us. Well, I'm a pastor. I'm a mom. I'm a nurse. I'm an architect. You know, I, I'm a teacher. Like, like, but is that who you are? Who are you? Has anyone ever asked you that question? This morning's text, John the Baptist gets interrogated from some people's perspective, <laughs> Or just there's an inquisitive party that has been sent of uh, Levites and priests that have been sent by the Pharisees because crowds are being drawn to John the Baptist. He is having this incredible ministry of repentance, and they're wanting to know what's going on, but they're asking this question, who are you? Often when people ask us that question, it's, whoa, (laughs) who are you? Right? It's 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 like, wow, or... It's, who do you think you are? Maybe the latter more than the former, unfortunately. How do you answer that question? How, how, does, how does that question get defined or answered? How do you respond to somebody that asks you who you are? Are we even the best one to answer that question? I mean, does our spouse have a better, more accurate <laughs> depiction of who we are? You know, who, who's the best, and what's the best answer for that? And by what criteria do we respond? Often it's by what we do, as I mentioned. Is our duties or responsibilities the best definition of who we are? So what or who defines who we are? Maybe, maybe what, does, or what we do doesn't define who we are, but who we are defines what we do. I'll say that again. Maybe what we do doesn't define who we are, but who we are defines what we do. So how do we determine who we are? Well, let's look at this passage. Let's read the text and uh, and let's discover what the scriptures has to say for this particular question. John 1, uh, for, for many of you know that at the beginning of the year, the Lord led us to begin the Gospel of John. Super excited because that really kind of lends to uh, the, the theme that Lord has put on our hearts for the year, which is living love. If anybody uh, knew the love of Christ, it was the one in whom Jesus loved. And he was convinced of Christ's love for him. And that helped him to overcome fear. That helped him to, to, to follow him right to the cross and beyond. And so um, in this particular gospel, we hear a lot about the I am, uh, fill in the blank, the door, the resurrection, the life, the way, the truth. Um, But we also hear a lot about love, his love for us and, and our love for others and what that might look like. So the first 18 verses of chapter one, we looked at the prologue. We looked at kind of this lofty concepts of that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us right? In chapter, in verse 14, uh, that the word was with God. The word was God. And then verse two says, and he was with God in the beginning. So, I mean, this, this, we know this, that this word, that, uh, that, that is the essence, the source of life. And that life, the life is the light of men, that all of this is pointing to Jesus. And in the midst of this prologue, there's a reference to someone that is pointing to the light, but is not the light. Right? He's not the light, but he's pointing to the light. And we get a, a quick glimpse into this, uh, to this, this person that Jesus said, of those born among women, there is no one greater. Right? This one that was declared uh, to, to walk in power and the spirit of Elijah in Isaiah 40. That this one that would come would, uh, would point the way and, uh, and make straight the path for the coming Messiah. And so now uh, after the prologue here, starting in verse 19, we get a a, a little bit of a a, a more intimate look uh, at the the ministry of John. And it starts with, and I'll lay the backdrop on this, it starts with these Levites and priests coming to him. Uh, Verse 28 helps us to understand where they met him, okay? So it's in Bethany on the east side of the Jordan. So this isn't the Bethany that we hear most often about, right? When we often hear about Bethany, it's the place where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live. It's this, it's this quick mile and a half jog over the, the Mount of Olives to a little town called Bethany that's uh, just, just outside of Jerusalem. This is not that Bethany. Uh, much like we have uh, uh, multiple, the same names in multiple locations in, uh, in the geography of, geography of Israel, much like Bethlehem. There was the Bethlehem that Jesus was born in that was in the town of Judea or in the region of Judea. Uh, there was also a Bethlehem in Galilee. Um, and so here, the, the, the Bethany that they're talking about, and it's interesting, it's important that we get this, obviously, verse 28 tells us is east of the Jordan. This is actually north of obviously north of the Dead Sea uh, and on the other side of the Jordan. This has been in high debate where exactly this might be, but there's actually a church built on um, one of those locations called the church uh, dedicated to John the Baptist and his ministry. Uh, And so this this is uh, a, a very long distance from Jerusalem. And why that's important to understand is, is that these guys that were sent from the Pharisees, now the Pharisees were the lawyers and their law was the Old Testament as we know it. And so they had this distinct responsibility to be the guardians of the law, right? They're the ones that would interpret it. They were the ones that would teach it, but they were the ones that would supervise it as well. And so they had sent the priests and the Levites to go and, uh, and to inquire of John, who do you think you are? You're baptizing Jews? We'll get to that. Like, you know, are, are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? Are you the Messiah? Um, and he declines those things. And we'll get to the text in that. But here's the thing is that we have to remember who this John is, right? He had a couple of parents we're familiar with. Who was his parents? Elizabeth and Zechariah, right? Zachariah was in the temple. Right, he was getting to do maybe what he'd only get to do once in a lifetime: is to offer prayers and incense on behalf of Israel, praying for the coming of the Messiah. Right, and in the midst of his prayer, he gets interrupted by an angel. Gabriel decides to extend this this uh, this prophetic uh, message to him and tells him, "Look, you're going to have the son that's been spoken of in Isaiah 40 that's going to come and prepare the way." He has a hard time swallowing that. He's mute for, till the birth of Christ. And he's told that this, this son would be named John. Here's the interesting thing Who, of what uh, tribe is both Zechariah and Elizabeth? They're both from the Levitical tribe, right? And not only from the Levitical tribe which is where we get all of our priests and Levites, right? But they're also both descendants of Aaron. The high priest, the original high priest. And so what does that make John the Baptist? A priest, right? He is, he, he's, he's a Levite and he's not just any Levite. He is from the line of Aaron. And so, you know, they're coming out to a fellow priest who is super unusual, looks a whole lot like in his dressing, his garb, his appearance, his, even his demeanor looks a lot like Elijah, right? Um, And he's having this glorious ministry where crowds are coming to him. And again, this is a remote place and crowds are being drawn to him. But his ministry is very specific. And he says this in many other places. Paul actually comes upon uh, some folks that were baptized by John, yet to be baptized in the Holy Spirit um, later in ministry. And, uh, And he says it is a baptism of what? Repentance right? His ministry is a baptism of repentance. Why that's so important that we understand is, is what was his mission? What was his God-appointed, scripturally prophesied mission was to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And, and specifically the way, what, what, what was he really preparing? Hearts, right? Hearts for the message of Christ, for the, for the, that they might, they might see him for who he is. And recognize him, that they might put their trust and faith in him, and be saved, be rescued, set the captives free. Jesus said, "I have come, declaring his mission. I have come that they may have life, right? And and there is life nowhere else but in you know. I've, I am the way, the truth, and the and no one comes to the Father who is the essence of life except through me. And so here John is baptizing in order to. Uh, repentance in order to bring about uh, a heart that might be prepared for the ministry of Christ. Just interesting that um, John had disciples, right? Um, And, you know, Jesus was asked, hey, teach us, like John taught his disciples, to pray. Um, Two of John, you know, the first two disciples that followed Jesus were two of John's disciples, John the Baptist. And we know them as John, the beloved, and Andrew, which is he's often referred to as the bringer, right? He's always kind of drawing people in and, and finding out if, if little boys have lunches to share, you know? So like it's, this is just how the Lord has wired John. So let's read the text. That's kind of the backdrop. I think there's curiosity on the part of the Pharisees. There's, there, there might be a little bit of envy, that's speculation, but they're surely trying to qualify or, or put John in some sort of a, a, a box. Like, who are you? Like, why are you doing these things uh, that are so unusual? uh, We want to understand. So it picks up in verse 19. It says this, and this is the testimony of John. The one we know as John the baptizer. When the Jews, and anytime you see Jews, especially in the gospel of John, it means the Jewish leaders. Here it means, because based on verse 24, it means the Pharisees. Okay, so it's just not the nation as a whole. It's talking about Jewish leadership. So, uh, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. No. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And then he said, now you've asked a good answer, a good question, right? And where does he point? Where does he go to? He goes to the scriptures to define who? Himself. Listen, verse 23, this is what John says. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Verse 24, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptized with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am, not un, I am not worthy to untie, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So these are the points that we're going to get at here in the, in the next few moments. In the encounter, in the encounter with John the Baptist, um, John accomplished three things. He firmly denied being the Christ. We see that. He identified himself as the herald predicted by Isaiah who would announce the Messiah. He he identifies himself in the scriptures. This is a unique expression that God um, had ordained uh, to the nation of Israel that would be manifested through one individual that would be the herald uh, for the coming king. And then, three, he announces the presence of the Messiah. Yet he did not publicly identify, this is so important, Jesus, even though the bat, uh, he baptized Jesus and heard God's verbal stamp of approval on him. So here to these guys, because next week as we look at um, another segment of this, the next day it says, and we'll look at that next week. Um, but it's interesting, here to these guys, he does not reveal Jesus. He just says, I baptize with water. Next, the next segment we see the next day when he's with his, his disciples Right, he uh, he points over. And you can you can kind of imagine the scene. He points over. He says, "There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." And he's, and then he says, "I baptize with water for repentance, but he will baptize what? With the Holy Spirit." Right. So like, and later on in chapter in the same chapter verse, uh, in fact chapter three verse thirty, he says, you know, his disciples come to him, John the Baptist disciples come to him, and they're like, hey. You know, Jesus' disciples, that guy, you know, his, his, his disciples are baptizing more than us. And he makes this statement that we often refer to that he said, I, I must decrease that he might increase. For this is the reason that I have come, to point to him, to make him known, to give him the praise and the glory and the, and the adoration. So let's start with verse 19, just to unpack this passage. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews, and I mentioned earlier that this is the Jewish leaders or the Pharisees based on verse 24, sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? See, God's favor and success seems to have demanded an explanation. I don't know that that's unusual for us who, is, who are dwelled. If we have trusted Christ, we've been sealed with his spirit and his spirit manifests itself in us in ways like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness and self control, compassion that love emanates from from the, the source of his presence in us. It overshadows us and and moves and, and transforms others by the way that we we relate to them. It says God's favor and success seem to demand an explanation. And and should I love that in first Peter Three, verse 15 it says um, be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you and, and that means that some, somebody's asking questions right if you're ready to give an answer and so you know long time ago we preached a sermon called live a questionable life live a life that causes people to inquire like who are you and then we get to say well let me tell you about who he is because that's why, I mean, why have we been given a spirit? Why have we been given this Holy Spirit? Why have we been clothed with power from on high? To be witnesses, to point, to, to testify about Jesus. This is, the, this is the purpose of God's presence. That, I mean, to make disciples, yes, but to be witnesses is the catalyst in that. Let's remember that John is a descendant of Aaron, as I mentioned earlier. So that makes him a priest. The messianic expectations. So what, what are they hopeful for at this particular season as a nation? Messiah. Isn't that what Zachariah was praying for in the temple? Right? They are, they are hungry for Messiah because in their connotation, and their expectation, this is a conquering king. This is a, this is a military Messiah that's going to come in and deliver them from Rome because at this particular season, they are experiencing massive oppression. From, from their perspective, a pagan nation. And, uh, and this, this is oppressive to them. So, interesting, I, I referenced this earlier. I'm going to read this passage to you in Luke 1, 13 through 17. And I want to point this out, that God said this about John the Baptist before he was conceived. Have you, like me, not been grieved by what's transpired in New York? Just grieved. Rex breaks your heart that, at, like Jeremiah 1.5 says, you know, before I formed you, I called you and appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. You know, here we see that the angel comes before, it. later on in the passage says that, uh, that Elizabeth conceived. So prior to his John the Baptist's con- uh, conception, this is what is said to Zechariah. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about that next week. Even from his mother's womb and he will, listen, this is where we want to pay attention. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him, right? Right? Him, Messiah. He will go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedience to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people. What is it? What's that last word say? Prepared. Is it not there? It's not there. So um, to make a people prepared, right? That's what. This is what. This is what God is doing through the ministry of John the Baptist, is he was a forerunner. He was a messenger, a herald, in order to prepare the way he was preparing hearts for the ministry of Jesus. We continue in the passage, verses 20 and 21. He said, he confessed, this is John the Baptist, and did not deny, but, but confessed, I am not. In other words, there is someone greater than me. Right? This is the catalyst to humility. Like, this is this is... We should have just a sense of awe. Later in the passage, he talks about, I'm not even worthy to be his bondservant. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. In another another gospel, he says, I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. I'm not worthy to be his servant. So he says, I am not. And the reason he says that I am not the Messiah is, is because that would have been Their assumption, that would have been their expectation, that would have been their desire. Maybe not the Pharisees and those, but they were were on the watch for a Messiah. Surely not Herod. Herod was just looking to wipe anybody out that wanted to be king. So, uh, I am not, he says, the Christ. There was an, an intense expectation for their deliverance or their Messiah. Verse 21, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answers, no. So what what are they talking about here? And so we're going to dive into this for just a second. When they say, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? I mean, it's clear, you know, he's not the Christ. Um, But in Malachi, and this is interesting. So there hadn't been a prophetic voice. There hadn't been a prophet in Israel for 400 years. The last prophet was Malachi. And uh, from, from, you know, how we have the Bible organized, you know, the, the last chapter of Malachi is chapter four. The last verses of Malachi is, is verses five and six. So what we're literally talking about here is the last utterances of a prophet 400 years earlier. And this is what was said, Malachi four, five, and six. It says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. Doesn't this sound familiar to what the the angel said to Zechariah about his son, John the Baptist? And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And it goes on. Guys, here's the thing. And and I just, as a sidebar here, because I think this is rich. I think it's interesting that it says first that the work uh, of repentance, right, he will turn... Like, the work of repentance manifests itself first in dads before it even has an expression of sons being obedient, right? It says, it says there, it says, I will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Man, that, do we know that the Spirit has a desire for, for, for godly men to be godly fathers and to have a heart for their kids? And we see this. This is this is the work of repentance. This is the work of preparation for for ministry. Dads, love your love your kids. Love your kids the way that your heavenly Father loves you. This is God's spirit is up to this. God's desire is that He would do this, that we would do this. Luke uh, one seventeen, and I mentioned this earlier. As far as the uh, the piece to Zechariah, but I just grab a small part of that. And it says this, and he will go, speaking of John the Baptist, to his father Zechariah, before he's conceived, he will go before him, speaking of Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's not, when he says, I'm not Elijah, I'm not, they, they were all about reincarnate Elijah, right? He is, the, he is the prophet's promise. He is the, and, and literally, if you go back to the promise, you see it says, in your day, uh, a prophet like it uses the word like, like Elijah, right? He is he is now that prophet. He says he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the of the just and make ready the Lord make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So the other thing we see that they're saying to him is is are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? What are they talking about? Well, if you go back to Deuteronomy. Moses actually spoke uh, or wrote about this uh, as one that would be like Moses to the nation of Israel. And listen to what it says in Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen. And these are what the nation of Israel were hanging their hopes on. This is what they were in, in expectation for. This, is, this was their deliverance. This was their promises that God had made and they were waiting on his promises. And in Deuteronomy 18, 15, you can imagine after 400 years, there's a lot of anticipation. There's a lot of longing, a lot of hope. Um, and so Deuteronomy 18.15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses said, from among you, from your brothers. It is, it is to him you shall listen. Uh, again, the, the ministry of John the Baptist, the work of, of Christ for sure. See, they wanted to know who John was, but John was insisted or he insisted on pointing them to Jesus. And my, my, my thought in that, as, I, as you think about that, is isn't that exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing with us? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, isn't that why we're clothed with power? I mean, listen to what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be, because you've received power with the Holy Spirit upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria. And as now God is doing At the ends of the earth. And so the mission that God has for you and I, by the indwelling power, by the indwelling power of the Spirit, Paul says, not I, but Christ who lives in me, like that is to be witnesses, to tell our story of the glorious grace that God has has ransomed us from our sin and rescued us to himself. Continuing the text, verse 22, he says, So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an account to those who have sent us what do you say about yourse- yourself and, and and as I mentioned earlier, John goes to the scriptures guys when when questions come and they will daily where what is your reference point when when needs arrive when uh, when, when circumstances you know um, obstruct our lives, like what, what, is, what is our reference? What do we go to? Where do we believe uh, the ultimate sense of truth and direction and hope lie? Do we turn to the scriptures? Do we, do we believe that the scriptures can lead us to all truth, can, can actually lead us to, to, to God's answer, God's very word? And the Spirit helps to interpret those things uniquely into our experiences but here, when John's asked, who do you say you are? He says, "I." he points to the scriptures. One of the convictions we have as a church is that this isn't unique to John, right? Let's remember, there's a guy, God bless you, there's a guy that was a brother, a half-brother of Jesus. He was one of four, and his name was James. And James, uh, along with his brothers, man, they, they mocked Jesus. They, 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 they expressed their de- disbelief towards him, and, uh, but later after he was after he raised, it's, it's said as a resurrection, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to him. James later becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church. And, uh, and James, it's interesting, and the reason I say all of that is when James, uh, you know, like in the letters in, in the Bible, um, they don't identify themselves specifically at the end, but right from the beginning, right? And one of the things that James says is he says, now let's remember, he's got some He's got some cred, right? I mean, he's got some credentials here in that he is the half-brother of Jesus. Like, that's, that's pretty... I mean, he's got some stories to tell, right? I mean, he, he's got some experience, touch, see here, all of that. And this is how he describes his relationship. He says, he says, James, the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he defines his relationship. Well, that's how, actually how he defines himself right? Jesus, even Jesus is a perfect example of this. When he's asked, you know, or, you know, John the Baptist, in fact, sends disciples to ask this question, are you him or should we expect another, right? And what does Jesus point to? The scriptures, right? He points to the scriptures. And so we have example after example that when we're, in, when we're looking to define who we are, and the truth is, everything we do throughout every day, throughout all that we do in our days, is, is really, we're, we're seeking to an expression of, we're defining ourselves, that the scriptures might come to life through our lives. And that we, might, that we might point to the scriptures every time that a question comes to us or is asked of us. Be ready to give an answer for the hope. So... Those sent by the religious leaders of Jerusalem confronted the man sent by God. Isn't that interesting? That, it, that here's a man that was sent by God and they're sent now to confront him. And they had run out of stereotypes and were ready to listen at this point. And when they are, this is what John says. And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, he was preparing their hearts for him. I'm going to share the the very reference point that he's coming from. Isaiah 43 says this, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. Speaking of Jesus, as we continue in John, it says this in verse 24 and 25, now they have been sent from the Pharisees. So we know who, who they were. They asked him, Then then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophets? So, this is an interesting piece. Um, Jews weren't baptized up to this point. You know who was baptized? Gentiles into Judaism. It was a, a rite of passage, it was a ceremonial rite in order to, as an entrance into the Jewish belief. Uh, if you're a male, then circumcision, but, but, but Jew, Jews weren't baptized, Gentiles were. So can you imagine uh, how, how absurd it would have been to them for him to be baptizing Jews? And this is what brought this question. Why are you baptizing Jewish people? And it's interesting to me, he just says, I'm baptizing with water. He doesn't go on to talk about repentance. He doesn't go on to talk about Jesus. He just says, I baptize with water. But then he goes on, to, well, he does. He goes on to say, there's one coming after me because he, he's very quick to point to why he's here. So he says, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Um, and then verse 26, 27 says, John answered them, I baptize with water. To symbolize repentance. We see this, by the way, in Luke 3.3, if you're taking notes. And to prepare the way. But among you stands one you do not know. And next week we'll see this as well. That there was a moment, there was time where where John the Baptist didn't know who Jesus was. They had had an encounter, but they were in the womb. (laughs) And and from that point, he had no idea what he looked like until... Until what John describes as what God told me as a sign would happen, that, that, a, that, that a, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove upon him and identified him, identified him as the Messiah. And so what he's saying to them here is, you don't know who he is. There was a point I didn't know, but now I know who the Lamb of God is who takes away the sin of the world. And then verse 27, even he who comes after me, speaking of Jesus, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. See, John had a very vital and unique ministry. Jesus even said among those, um, he said among those born of woman, there was none greater than John, yet he saw himself in light of Christ and this cultivated and maintained an attitude of humility. Guys, I think that's such a great example here. Here's someone that Jesus himself said ab- among women, among those born of women, no one greater than John. And John's attitude because his, his mission, his life, who he was, was wrapped up in pointing to Jesus. Do we see that? His life was wrapped up in because he was filled with God's spirit who makes us witnesses. His life was wrapped up in pointing to Jesus. That was, his, that was, that was who he was as well as what he does, right? And, and what is so fascinating about that is, is because of that posture, because of that mindset, because of that truth, he had this radical humility about, about who he was and how, how unworthy he was to even f- to play the role, uh, to be the bondservant, the one that would usher in. And guys, if we keep our eyes on him, if we remember that we're defined by him and what we do is defined by him, that it, it, it will cultivate in us also an attitude of humility. It only makes sense. I had a thought. John was having such an impact as a witness for Christ that the Pharisees and, and eventually the king wanted to know who he was. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that, that God is using you or your church family in such a profound way that that the president wants to know who are you what's what 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 you're doing is 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 be, is so impactful in our nation our lives should cause others to question who we are so like john we can point to christ john knew who he was and probably just as importantly he knew who he wasn't who he wasn't um I want to give you an example uh, as we go into our closing portion here. I want to give you an example of Jesus having this same perspective. Uh, You'll remember this is in the final discourse. So what happens through the first 12 chapters of John is things move um, in in a a rhythm of about three years. But then when we get to chapter 13, we move into moments and hours because now Jesus is on the precipice of his passion, his, his giving his life. And what Jesus starts off with sharing a meal with his disciples, the Last Supper, he begins by washing his disciples' feet. Now, let's, let's think about who's washing their feet. I mean, Peter has such a, a problem with this. He's like, there is no way you're washing my feet. Because it just, it just confronted his, his leadership paradigm. And Jesus was saying, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, one of the interesting things we came upon a couple years ago in Bible study is in Luke chapter 12, when we get to the end, when we, when we, we are, as I read in First Thessalonians 4, when we get to the banquet at the end of the day, at, you know, when Christ comes back and takes his bride home and, and we celebrate with the wedding banquet, in chapter 12 of Luke, it says that Christ will serve his bride the glorified Savior, because that's what greatness does is it serves. You know, if you want to be great, become a servant. If you want to be the greatest of these, become a slave, Jesus said. This is the, and, and it's, an, you know, it's last shall be first. It's the whole upside down mentality there. But listen to this, this passage. This is John 13, 1 through 5. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father, having, be, having loved his own who were in the world, he, sh- he, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And then here it is. Jesus knew. Don't miss this. Jesus knew that the Father had put thing, all things under his feet. He knew who he was. Or put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So that, that understanding, that awareness, I mean, he knew, like, he knew who he was. Who are you? There was no question. Jesus fully understood his, his, his role, his deity, his posture before the Father. And because of that, because of that awareness, because he knew who he was. And guys, please don't miss this. If we, if we know who we are in Christ, and we're going to get to this, if we know who we are in Christ, it it liberates us to serve with joyful obedience it, li- it sets us free to wash feet because we got nothing to prove anymore we got nothing to lose anymore because we've already laid down our life but we, we, we realize that we've been given something so much greater that we're not we're not we no longer investing in this temporary world we're storing up treasures in heaven we're 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 we're, we're seeking to for, for his kingdom and not ours we're, 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 we're loving him through our very lives. But listen to what Jesus, because he knew who he was, he knew where he came from and knew where he was going. Verse four says, so he got up from the meal. I mean, it's because Jesus knew this. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Servant. How did... How did John the Baptist describe himself in verse 27? I'm not not even worthy to untie his sandals. I mean, do I think in this, I think there's a danger. um, There's this this dichotomy, this, this rich, like the richness of Christ, that He is both, He is both the Word that became flesh, He is divine. And that he also took on skin in order to model and die in our place, right? Like, and and there, should be a, there should be a reverence. There should be an awe of this Jesus we point to. There should be a, an attitude of worship as we speak his name and the authority that, that comes with it. We, 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 there should be an awe about like, like, Jesus loves me? What? Wow. Like, Jesus died for me? Paul says, I am crucified with Christ that I no longer live, but the Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and what? Gave himself for me. Like, man, do we, do we get that, like, this is God? I know we talked about this. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm blown away that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But then, but then this Jesus, this one that now calls us friend and shares the Father's plans with us and in and, and, and this intimate context... let's let's not let familiarity breed contempt. You know what I'm saying? That there should be awe and reverence, but Jesus was Jesus, was God in the flesh. He was Messiah. He was Emmanuel. He was the anointed one, and he washed feet. Guys, are we above that? Are we not the servant of the one that, that humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross? He says, verse 5 of chapter 2 of Philippians says, have the same mindset or attitude of this Christ Jesus who laid all that aside in order to embrace you back to the Father and and, and call his Father your Father. And then we say our Father. Like, it's, it's an amazing thing. So here's the conclusion. This is what I was all excited about this week. Maybe it's not as important who we say we are, but what he says we are in Christ. Maybe it's not important who we say we are. And if we're asked, who do you say you, you who do you yourself say you are? Then we point to the scriptures. One of the things that I love and very passionate about with our church is so many times people want to put us in a box. They want to say, Well, what denomination are you? Or, you know, yeah. and, and and when I tell them that we're an A2 church, they don't they don't have any, they don't have a category for that. Yeah. And so the beauty of that is we get to point to the scriptures. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And we get to say, this is what defines us. The scriptures is who we are. Like, so guys, I'm going to read, so th- and here, I want this to be, I hope this bathes over your mind and heart. Because what I'm about to read to you, because I can't give you, I'm going to put the notes on, on, on the website so you can look these up because I, I know you're going to want them. But went through the scriptures this week and began to think about, okay, so who are we in Christ? Like, like, who does the Scripture say we are in Christ? Because that's what should define us. And not only just define us, that should, that, that should in, inform what we do, right? Because it's about it's, well, who we are should be what, what we do, not what we do who we are. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, I'm going to read these things to you. And, and I just want you to, to listen and let the truth set you free. And, and realize, like I was blown away about how many times the scripture tells us who we are in Christ. And I want you to let these things sink in and let this become what truly defines you. We are God's possession. We are God's children. We are God's chosen. We are God's beloved. We are heirs of God and Christ. We are co-heirs we are God's temple, we are God's soldiers, we are God's ambassadors, we are God's witnesses, we are God's workmen, we are God's workmanship. We have been adopted into God's family. We have been justified freely by his grace. We have been purchased by Christ's blood. We have been purified by Christ's blood we have been redeemed by Christ's blood. We have been washed in His blood. We have been cleansed in His blood. We have been sanctified in His blood. We have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness. We have been bought excuse me, brought into the kingdom of the Son. We have been brought We have been bought with a price. We have listen to this. We have been included in Christ. We have been made alive in Christ. We have been raised with Christ. We are seated with Christ. We have been chosen before the foundation of the world. We have been forgiven of all of our sins. We have been given the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. We we have been indwelt by this spirit. We have been sealed by this spirit. We are complete in him. We are washed, sanctified, and justified in him. We are set apart for the master's use in him. We are shielded by God's power. We are kept by his hands. We are kept from falling. We are kept by the power of God. We are not condemned. We are one with the Lord. We are strengthened by his mighty power. We are entrusted. We are called. We are called to be saints. We are greatly loved. We are protected from the evil one. We are equipped with spiritual armor. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We are born again. We are the Lord's servants. We are living stones. We are spiritual houses. We are a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. We are chosen people and a holy nation. We are a people belonging to God. We are aliens and strangers in this world. We are citizens of heaven. We are assured that we will suffer for him. We are promised that we will reign with him. We are the sheep of his pastures. We are the people of God. We are recipients of mercy. We are more than conquerors. We are hidden with Christ in God. We are being transformed into his likeness, and you're going to love this. We are his. We have. Listen to what we have. We have the hope of eternal life. We have the ministry of reconciliation. We have the message of re- reconciliation. We have Christ dwelling in our hearts. We have access to the throne. <laughs> we have a heavenly home being prepared for us. We have an anchor for our soul. We have authority over the power of the enemy. We have authority over the power of the enemy. We have power to witness. We have peace with God. We have a father of compassion. We have a God of all comfort. We have a savior who died for us. We have a healer who restored us. We have a king who's returning for us. We have a spirit who fills us. We have a spirit who guides us. We have a spirit who gifts us. We have a spirit who bears his fruit through us. Guys, we have a faith of greater worth worth than gold. We have a faith that brings praise and glory and honor to Jesus at his return. We have an inheritance kept in heaven. We have an inheritance that can never, never spoil, perish, or fade We have assurance of salvation. We have great and and precious promises. We have our name written in the Lamb's book of life. We have everything we need for life. We have everything we need for godliness. We can, listen to this, we can come boldly boldly before the throne of grace we can find mercy and grace in our time of need we can pray always and everywhere we can all have we can have we can cast all our anxieties on him we can quench the enemy's fiery darts and we can do all things help me through christ who gives me strength we cannot listen to this We cannot be separated from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. We cannot. And finally, we have not been given a spirit of fear. We have not been given a spirit of fear. You know what we've been given? A spirit of power and love and self-control. Therefore, we do not fear. We do not worry about tomorrow. We do not weary in well-doing. We do not cling to our lives. Even in the face of death, but overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Therefore, we do not claim to be without sin. We do not continue in sin. Instead, and we finish with this, instead, we confess our sins in confidence that he forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Instead, we say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Instead, we flee evil desires. Instead, we hold to the teachings of, Of Christ. Instead, we love Him because He first loved us. Instead, we set our hearts on things above and we don't set our hearts and we set our our minds on things above. Instead, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Instead, we stand firm in faith. Instead, we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid. Instead, we say, We know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Instead, we will share in his glory and in our hearts, we set Christ as Lord. And as you stand and prepare to worship, it says also, instead, we declare his praises and we reflect his glory.